Hello and welcome to the Ruby Rogues. I'm John Epperson, and today on our panel we have Dan Romer. Hello. And Valentino Stoll. Hey there. And today for for a guest we have Jorge Manrubia. I apologize yep. if I butchered your last name. No. I, That's perfect. Hello everyone. Hello. And Jorge, would you mind just take a minute and tell us a little bit about why you might be famous, why people might know you a little bit? Uh, sure. So yeah, I'm a Rails uh, developer. I currently work at Basecamp in the security infrastructure uh, performance team, but um, I'm a lead programmer. And so we work mostly on infrastructure projects, Basecamp. Uh, we don't do product and stuff. And before that, I have like a bunch of years of experience uh, working first with Rails and before Rails with Java. So yeah, <laughs> that's me. Awesome, awesome. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Well, welcome. And we kind of brought you in today because we wanted to do some talking about encryption. You've, you've written about it and had a lot of things to say. So I guess maybe let's kick it off. So can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, you wrote an article about Rails encryption. Can you just like maybe kind of get us into this? What's uh, uh What's in Rails encryption? What's our story here? Sure. So, yeah. So we, at some point the last year, we contributed a feature to Active Record in Rails to encrypt Active Models attributes. And sorry, Active Record Models attributes. And this feature originated in Hay. So just to, to put the story in context, when I joined uh, Basecamp in 2019. In, in that time, I joined by the end of 2019, and the company was focused on this new product, Hey, which was codenamed Haystack back in the day. And this all started for me when I was in the first meetup in Chicago, in the headquarters, uh, the former headquarters uh, of Basecamp. And I remember that in some internal presentation, David was making the point of that we had to raise the bar when it comes to privacy in Hay. And he shared this uh, question from his wife about whether his employees were going to be able to access their emails, which is a pretty legit question. And I remember, you know, in, in that time, we didn't even have a clear idea of what we were going to do. This privacy project had many legs. Encryption was only one important part of it. But it was clear to us early on that we needed some kind of system to protect information access when you were using Rails consoles. Because Rails consoles are a very powerful tool that everyone uses. And it was clear to all that it was it was clear to us that it wasn't acceptable that anyone could open a console and access customer emails, other colleagues' emails. At the same time, again, for example, imagine the case where you are checking your application logs. We like to see email chunks uh, when you are seeing like you know updates or inserts in the database. Is that acceptable? So all those things were concerns we had. So 
we started this project to analyze uh, privacy from from many angles. And when it comes to since you know, hey, it's a MySQL powered application, database encryption was uh, a very important part of all this privacy initiative. And yeah, I got to I started working on on that. We we had this loose idea of some kind of framework for encrypting data the active record uh, level model and I started analyzing other libraries and got something moving after some time of research and, and study. So that, that's how it originated. And we so we created this well we created several versions internally and finally we released when Hay entered into the public beta phase, we shipped our first encryption version internally and eventually like one year later we uh, contributed it to, to Rails. And now it's going to be an official Rails 7 feature. So that's the story of uh, more or less of how it went. Nice. So there's two angles here that that I think are super interesting. One is encryption of attributes or whatever in Rails itself, which I definitely wanted to talk about that versus the adder encrypted gem. But then obviously the console thing, which I think is completely new. I don't know of anything that, that even lives in that space. So yeah, let's go there there's two legs. Sure. So uh, uh, the first thing that I noticed about the console and is maybe a less serious question, but I think it's kind of important. I presume that console 1984 is a reference to the grand old book 1984. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to to be yeah, like a heuristic reference to you know the Big Brother novel, so that when you are using yep. the console, you are not on your own. You have like someone observing what you do. So it's kind of tries to evoke that, but in a kind of uh, funny way, not serious or <laughs> dystopian way. Nice. So so my understanding of, well, maybe I should just have you uh, talk about the basic understanding of the console. Like, So what is the basic thing that it does? Sure. So yeah, first let me say that, so when, you, when we talk about why encrypting information, there are like two sides uh, or two reasons. One is that because it's an addition security layer, for your for your application, so imagine that someone gained access to the database or to a, a snapshot of your database. So if the information is encrypted, it's like another barrier against accessing sensitive information. But a very specific scenario we had in mind was controlling access to sensitive information internally inside the organization. So what Console 1984 does is it extends IRB the Ruby console that the Rails console extends itself. And it extends IRB to to make sure that when you, well, it does several things, but most notably, when you access information that is encrypted with, with active record encryption, it's not going to reveal the clear text. It's going to show this cipher text. So do, you, you can't effectively access to encrypted data. And that's one thing. Uh, okay, good. And it also records the commands you enter so that someone can audit them later. And it also prevents accessing external systems. So, for example, imagine that you have that you run a Elasticsearch instance or a Redis instance, anything that is uh, TCP-based under the hood. The console 1984 is going to intercept those low-level connections and make sure you can't hit certain URLs or IPs that are protected so that you can't, for example, use Elasticsearch to access, again, emails in, in our case. So, and then it has like, because we know that the console is 
we wanted to keep the console functional, and sometimes you need to decrypt information to access it. So, for example, in Hey, uh, if we run into some kind of incident where email got stuck for, I don't know, some encoding issue or something, I mean, it, it doesn't, it's a silly example because this doesn't happen, but imagine that due to some incident that is causing some big trouble, we had to decrypt. That's an justification for us for decrypting or imagine that some customer is having problems with certain email and in order to troubleshoot the problem we need to access the email's content so in that case we always ask for permission to the customer for explicit consent for accessing that email and then in the console you can say okay i'm going to decrypt and the console is going to ask you what is your reason for entering to this unprotected mode and then you can well normally you can based a link to the consent by the customer in our case. We always like require a link so that this is the justification and the console is going to well show you the data then it's going to record that reason and eventually in, in well in the case of Basecamp there is a team that every two weeks performs an audit of the all these accesses and check the commands enter the reasons and check that everything is justified. So yeah, console nineteen eighty four does all that, and there is like a sibling tool which is Audit nineteen eighty four, which is a Rails engine that lets you check all these commands and perform these audits. It's very simple, but it's the, the one we use, and it's also something that we shipped not so long ago. So yeah, nice. <laughs> I definitely, if this had existed about four or five years ago, I was working on a project where we totally could have used this, but that's okay. So one of the things that I was thinking about as you went through that, one of the problems that I encountered at this project was, I mean, I can just in my console type rails.config.whatever and get my configuration out, right? And I have, it, depending on where I've placed my key, right? I can get my encryption key out and then I can go and manually run some commands to decrypt some stuff, right? So if I were a malicious developer, I can do I can do things that um, give me access to the data anyway. Does console 1984 handle some of these edge cases or they're just, I mean, the console is a pretty powerful tool. I'm not necessarily certain that it's plausible to catch all possible edge cases, right? Like I could if I logged into my server, for example, I could just cat out my key and get it that way. So there's a lot of different things that I can do. Yeah. Does it handle some of these edge cases? Yeah. Yes or no? I mean, or, you can I'm... do literally <laughs> almost, you can anything. literally do just about almost anything, right? So yeah, maybe just a quick addition to, to that is, does it use does it use a whitelisting approach to say these are the specific things you can do? Or are you excluding um, certain operations? Yeah, so it's... It actually, I mean, first of all, you, John, made a great point that is, in a way, so a console is essentially a place where you evaluate Ruby code. And Ruby code, Ruby by design is incredibly flexible, so the language can modify itself while executing, which is a killer feature of Ruby and a feature we all love, but that makes protecting a system that evaluates Ruby code dynamically very hard. And that's, that's true, and I guess, I mean, there are, security holes now for sure and there will be security holes here and there because it's very very difficult to cover them all but we've worked i mean the console the current version of console 1984 already has like several protection mechanisms against tampering we call this tampering like using the console to circumvent its controls and it it goes pretty far trying to make these difficult. So it's not like it's not as simple as a allow list or deny list approach. It's it's more 
like, a, well, there are like several barriers and several things we do. So, for example, we pay a lot of attention to extending certain classes. So, for example, imagine that you extend Active Record Base and overwrite Save so that it doesn't save anything. And suddenly we, we, we can't record the commands anymore. So we prevent extending classes in two ways. It's um, Internally, it uses uh, a parser, a Ruby parser, which is a gem just is called parser. And it's pretty amazing. And it let, uh, so we use the parser for detecting constant references so that to make sure that you don't extend the things we don't want you to extend. We extend and monkey patch ourselves several classes to prevent the same so that if you extend something that is forbidden, in Ruby, there is a hook method, which is method added. That So if you overwrite a method in a class, the class is going to trigger that hook. And you can we use that hook for detecting these acts after they have happened. So in that case, you are going to get, uh, the, the console is going to be terminated immediately if you do that. So we do some kind of static analysis upfront. There are detection of suspicious words, I was going to say, so for example, we also override monkey patch database driver connection classes. For So if you try to use these classes for accessing the tables we don't want you to access, that's going to be detected. We freeze several classes too. Freezing in Ruby, I don't know if you know this, but you can freeze a class. I didn't know this, but if you freeze, so you can freeze a string and you can't modify that. You can do the same with classes. So you can freeze a class and it's not going to be, you, you can't add methods or override its uh, static state. So yeah, we, we do many things uh, related to decrypting things manually. If, if you have the key, if you get the key and you decide to decrypt things manually, I think we are currently detecting attempts to decrypt, I mean, just as suspicious words. So if you try to do that, the command is going to be recorded and flagged as suspicious. But there are probably many more things we can do. But there is, I mean, I worked quite a lot on that in recent weeks. And I think we have a, a good basis for the coming months. As people report more vulnerabilities, we can, we intend to fix them and, and make it as robust as, as possible. But Yeah, that's an uh, interesting one. Yeah. I think just because of the nature of the problem, you could probably do a PhD dissertation on showing, you know, how you've got coverage and protection through that. But I think even in just some of the guardrails that you've mentioned, I can imagine a few others with networking and connections to database or external resources, you can you can eliminate 95%, probably more, right, of accidents or even malicious usage, probably, or if nothing else, audit it and flag it. I suspect that someone who is both malicious and extremely intelligent hacker-ish might be able to find something around yeah. it, but at least it would get audited. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Corey's point too, right? Like we're trying to mitigate circumstances or circumvent, the, mitigate the circumvention process, right? Like you can't catch every case, right? So exactly. catch most of them. I, I think this is still leaps and bounds better than just using Rails console, right? Say here, all developers just go at it, right? <laughs> Yeah, totally. No, this down. is massive, right? Like, it literally makes it so that you have to intentionally, <laughs> like, work around it, which <laughs> is, I think, I think what we really would want, right? In most cases, like, you hopefully you don't have a developer at your company that you don't trust, right? Like, for the most part, we trust the developers around us. Like, we give them a lot. They have a lot of power, and we have to trust them. So we already have that kind of a relationship with them. So it's more about like 
hey, just, you know, let's hide information so you don't accidentally see it as you're doing work, right? Like, I feel like that's, for example, with the place that I was at, it was like the particular application was it hid people's salaries. Like they didn't want people to see people's salaries. But of course, a developer who is really motivated could go see them. This would raise the bar for that, but it's not going to hide it for the super motivated person. But at that point, they're already like super far off the ranch. Yeah, I like that reading. I agree. I mean, so when when we released like this first version to the public, I I had made this change to store things in the database, which was something recent. In Basecamp, we were not doing that. So that was a recent addition that I made to, to make things easy to audit. And I wanted to make this very simple to install. So I didn't want to introduce like things like using a read-only user, database user for managing for accessing the the audits i wanted something at the end that you can you could look and you plug and use and some people say oh but this is so easy to circumvent because it was like way easier to circumvent in the first version this is totally worthless and it's my take is different it's like this is already a huge step forward compared to not doing anything so the fact that it's possible to have something ill-intended or very malicious an expert and wanted to do bad things compared to not doing anything maybe there's some middle ground and again I, we aim to make this as secure and as anti-tampering as possible that's definitely a goal but yeah i think that there is a positive outlook here which is this is a great step forward compared to not doing anything instead of oh since this is not bullet proof it's it's useless <laughs> no with, without a doubt hey i have a couple questions on or i guess a, a few common objections that you might get from developers if you start a project you're on a project and you're given a requirement to encrypt your data at rest so a couple of things that come to mind people might think oh it's going to make my application slower right it's going to slow down the yeah. database persistence and retrieval and then another thing that might come to mind is well it's going to make it harder to debug what's going on right because if i want to look and see well are the correct contents in my data store it's obviously encrypted text that's not clear text so what would you what uh, what are your thoughts on that or how does the work that you've done help alleviate some of those uh, issues that developers might be concerned about sure so yeah the performance question is a good one i also it was a concern i had and since the first version i wrote a bunch of performance tests to optimize things and to detect regressions but one the, the first thing i learned is that encryption is fast so encryption happens in the sub millisecond realm so even the encryption is like one order of magnitude faster than the the fastest database operation. So that means that when you are using encryption in a database-powered application, the encryption impact is minimal. Like so, if you have to decrypt, I don't know, uh, forty fields for rendering a screen, it's negligible. You are not going to see a difference because the database is there and the database is already adding a bunch of milliseconds. Template rendering is way slower than database access, and that's Again, add a bunch of other milliseconds, and you are adding operations that are like under one millisecond. So it's negligible. It, it doesn't really have an impact when it comes to encrypt or decrypt. It's it's really really fast. And regarding problems debugging, it hasn't been an issue in general because in the way it works, it's pretty transparent. So unless what you are doing has to do with 
for example, encoding issues or something that is very content specific that you, I mean, if it's something you can check with a, a model attribute red, it's going to be the same. It's going to be transparent for you as a developer. Now, it, you need to go to the database and check the actual bytes that are persisted there. Then, uh, yeah, of course, you're going to decrypt that information. But in, in my experience, that hasn't been a blocker at all or a problem. So let me ask you, Hori, when you're developing, do you typically turn on the encryption in all of your environments, meaning dev, test, and of course, production? Or would you selectively do that? No, yeah, we have, uh, we have encryption enabled in all the environments. In fact, well, that was something also that was kind of strategic because I didn't want to develop something and suddenly enable encryption in production. You, you want to exercise all, the, all that encryption already while in development and while in testing. And, and one feature I like a lot is that it supports fixtures. So in, in Basecamp, we use fixtures for everything. And, and if you use encryption, it's, it's transparent. So you, you don't really have to care about encryption. But if you create a fixture with some data, that corresponds with an attribute that is encrypted is going to be encrypted automatically. So essentially, for developers, it's kind of transparent. Of course, we don't have console 1984 enabled in development. It, that's there is no. I mean, you can do that if you want, but there is no point in doing that. So for you, is essentially you never ever see the ciphertext unless you check the database columns directly. So it's pretty transparent or 100% transparent, I'd say, for daily development. Nice. Hey, one of the, yeah, and a, kind of a related topic. So then this gets into uh, search as well as one of the considerations that you have to think about. I, I started going through and you have a really nice, done a really nice job on the guide here. And you talk about the difference between deterministic and non-deterministic encryption and its impacts on search. You maybe want to just give the audience a quick, quick summary of those concerns? Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, the, the first concern when you are working with a database is how are you going to query the data, right? So with encryption, well, encryption in the, in the way we have, in, in the system we have created in active record encryption, there are two encryption modes. One, we call it deterministic and we, uh, the other one, we call it non-deterministic. Non-deterministic means that every piece of information we encrypt is going to use its own and random initialization vector. Initialization vector is a parameter and an input of the symmetric algorithm we use, which is AES256. And so essentially, this is, this is the recommended way of doing symmetric encryption. And it's the, the safest way of encrypting data because this random initialization vector, well, it offers, let's say, a series of security warranties against accessing that encrypted information. Now, the problem with this is that the database, you can't query information encrypted that way. Because uh, when you are writing the query, you don't really know, the, uh, you can't really provide the initialization vectors of all the information you are, you are going to access. I mean, it's that, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't fly. So we have this, so essentially, just to, for you to understand, if you're going to match a field in the database, you want to provide that same encrypted payload so that it matches. Okay, so if the initialization vectors are random, that's impossible to do. So then we have the deterministic encryption mode, which is the second encryption mode, where the initialization vector is not is not is not random, but is not fixed either. Is derived deterministically based on the encrypted text. And this is an important detail because a lot of people have said, oh, if you, I mean, actually, I'll tell you a story. When we 
in, in the first version of this library that we actually shipped in Hay just before the beta, we hired a security firm to perform an, uh, an, an audit on the library, on the code, on the approach, because there were no experts in cryptography in, in Basecamp. So we really didn't trust ourselves. And a security expert, uh, sorry, uh, an encryption expert from this company detected this problem because we were using fixed initialization vectors when encrypting information deterministically. And, and she told us, oh, that's, that's horrible. You can't do that. That's like not encrypting data. If you use AES in GCM mode with a fixed initialization vector, that, that's like not encrypting anything. And I was, oh my God. And, and she suggested using another standard, which is AES, but instead of in GCM mode in SIV mode, which essentially does this, it takes, uh, so when you're going to encrypt some information, imagine you're going to encrypt the word Jorge, it's going to derive an initialization vector from Jorge, from the payload. So that's going to be deterministic. So if you are going to if you are going to query the database and want to search by the name Jorge, you can derive the initialization vector for the parameter of the query and search is going to work, essentially, or, or queries are going to work. And uh, we couldn't use that standard because in the in OpenSSL, which is the I mean, in the standard OpenSSL wrapper in Ruby, it's not implemented yet, or it wasn't implemented yet, but I tweaked the code to essentially do that. So we derive initialization vectors deterministically in in this mode, and, and queries work. Awesome. Yeah, I remember I read in your, in your article, which was a great post about this, I think you mentioned the fact that you had, and, and this is the thing, right? Pen tests, security audits, almost by definition, you need to do them towards the end, right? Because otherwise, if you pen test in the middle of your development, then you could have reintroduced a problem. You need to do a Delta pen test. But I saw that you had mentioned this was, I think, five days before you were planning to launch, planning to launch the product, give or take. And so you had to make this change in, in a quick matter, quick matter of time. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the change itself was very, very easy because the code was very, very, I mean, it was a line, a line of code replacing what was, you know, very, it was like a 15 minutes change, but then we have the problem that all the database information was already encrypted in one way. So what happens? So when you change the imagine the initialization vectors, the, the ciphertext, what happens with with queries that they stop working? And that was like the my first experience having to support encryption scheme changes, which is not easy at all. So imagine that you have a, for example, in Hey. We use uh, we encrypt email. So when you sign up in Hey, we make sure that you can't sign up with the same email of other user, right? That's pretty basic. So what happens? But what happens if something in the encryption doesn't really match? I've changed something, and now my encrypted email email is now different, and people can sign up with your name. So those are pretty scary bugs, and <laughs> yeah, probably the. All that, all that area of the library where you have to support, for example, another cool thing we support is data that is encrypted and not encrypted at the same time. So that if I want to imagine that my database, half of the records are encrypted because I added encryption later when the app was already in production after a few years and I'm in the middle, in the process of encrypting everything and some emails are encrypted, but other emails, sorry, email addresses are encrypted. So the library support querying that way, and it's going to check both versions of the of the query parameter, the encrypted and the unencrypted one. So all these things were 
kind of uh, challenging uh, technically to to implement, but I think also they they are like pretty unique to this library compared to others. I mean, I don't know of any other encryption libraries that support these uh, these things. So when you first mentioned that the data could be or is both encrypted and not encrypted, at first I was thinking about the same row and I'm like, whoa, did we just get a new quantum mechanics or something? <laughs> but then I realized you're talking about half of the or some of the content and not the other. Yeah, that was a part that I thought was very interesting because I'm I've always thought that essentially doing zero downtime deployments is, or, or introduces some really interesting challenges. And I worked at AWS for five years where pretty much everything had to be a zero downtime. I, w- I won't say that I miss that now. Like on my current uh, project, <laughs> there's no one using the system at night. So I can't convince anyone it's worth it to do that. But yeah, I was going to ask you how you did that. And I can, uh, I can imagine, you mentioned it was nerve wracking. I can only imagine there is a little bit, I will say, of adrenaline rush when you do, I don't know if adrenaline rush, but it is satisfying to see a deployment go out you start it you watch the dashboards and you know when you first see those positive metrics start to come up on the graphs it is a a quite satisfying feeling but yeah how did you manage to pull that off so i I assume i was guessing that one of the techniques was what you mentioned that if you're changing from one scheme to the other you you were able to first try the old scheme if that failed then try the new scheme i'm actually not even probably my lack of knowledge about encryption but i'm not even know i'm not even sure how you would know it didn't work because wouldn't it just decrypt and give you some gobbledygook nonsense but i don't know how a computer would know that that is not the right answer yeah no you are spot on so for example at the encryption time we do that if it tries the configure encryption schemes one after another at, until one works. So if you have like several encryption schemes or if you, well, for reading data, we do that. We try several encryption schemes and for querying, we use all the configure encryption schemes uh, to generate instead of one value and values uh, for the query. So yeah, we do that that way. And yeah, it was, uh, so the, the first time we, we shipped this, it was really nerve-wracking for me, but what I did was testing things uh, a lot in a production-like database in a station environment. So I, you know, re-encrypted everything multiple times. I, with our QA team, Basecamp, tested things while encryption was going on to for trying to detect issues. The process where your account is not encrypted and after a few hours, everything is encrypted. What happens during that period? I was really concerned about about that part of the equation. But in general, it was nerve-wracking because th- this technology was ours, so it's it's not like it wasn't battle tested, let's say. But we didn't we didn't run into major issues through all the history. That in the first deploy, we had a problem with with emails. So in MySQL, which is the database we use, the coalition we have configured, it's case insensitive. So it doesn't really matter whether things are up case or down case. And we lost that when we encrypted. And I realized after encrypting, and that's a problem for email because an email is also case insensitive. So someone can type your email with upcase. So, but quickly realized after shipping about the problem, and it was, I think it was, uh, I quickly added this option downcase for encrypted attributes. So you can use downcase and the information is going to be downcased automatically for deterministic encryption. And, but yeah, I think that I remember that incident when we released the first version. But yeah, generally it's like everything. So now these days I'm working on adding encryption to BC4. And again, it's, I mean, I'm way more, way calmer than I was with Hey, because now 
it's battle tested, the technology, but still, it's not something I take lightly. It's not something I say, wow, this is, it's something I, I intend to test thoroughly over and over <laughs> before, before shipping anything. Because with encryption, I mean, by definition, you know, if you encrypt something and you can't decrypt it, for example, for some reason, that's equal. That equals to losing data. So it's, it's as serious as that. I, yeah, I think that's called hashing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, uh, one way. <laughs> exactly. Um, hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Having used Adder Encrypted like multiple times, when I read your article, I was thinking about the fact. So uh, I've never had to, I've never ended up having to do this before, but there, I guess, was a problem in Adder Encrypted 2 or something like that or whatever. Anyway, there's a strategy that's like down at the bottom of Adder Encrypted where they talk about migrating data from like an old version to a new version. And like the, they offer like a couple, they don't implement any of them, but they offer a couple strategies for you to try, including one where you basically like store what you, what method you use to encrypt the data in your database and use that sort of to help the, help it figure out what to do to get it out. But yeah, hairy stuff. I've never had to do that. And I'm happy that I've never had to do that. Having encryption like this in Rails, I don't think people realize how significant it is, right? Like like you mentioned, Adder Encrypted, that is definitely a, a standard I've used before, that library. Uh, I know Lockbox has come out recently that looks actually a, very similar to the existing Active Record API. So people using that will will definitely feel f- familiar. But I mean, encryption in general is is a really hard problem, like you mentioned, Jorge, where it's very easy to get wrong. And like you said, you know, when you guys were ready to release, an expert came and, and said, hey, like, you can't do this. Who's to know, like, unless you do that encryption all the time, right? So I understand why Ruby is kind of hesitant to create some kind of security class or, or similar uh, because of that. Because they would, 
there would have to be buy-in from a security expert, right, uh, to maintain these kinds of things. So I'm kind of curious to know, I guess, how you came about creating this library over using one of the existing tool sets and where you think Ruby in general lays with OpenSSL, the state of that, as far as a safe mechanism to tie into. Yeah, so, yeah, for the first question, yeah, we, I mean, I, a lot of existing libraries in Rails and learned a lot from from, from them. The reason for creating our own was uh, both related to features. So, for example, what, what I was mentioning about what happens when you have to encrypt information and you have information that is not encrypted and information that is encrypted, but you want queries to keep working. That was a scenario that it wasn't theoretical for us. It was what we we had to do in Hey, we had a situation. So, for example, that no tool, no library covered that. There was also the matter of, let's say, internal design of, of the libraries. I didn't find a library where I would be like 100% convinced of adopting right away in the way things were designed for making the kind of features I wanted to add or the extensions I wanted to add. This technology was going to be like core to, to Basecamp. So there was also the fact that we kind of I mean, all things considered, owning the technology and the expertise, the technology was uh, another factor for us. That's true. But yeah, and, and also if you check now, what, I mean, all the, all the features. So first of all, the first day I started working on this, I couldn't envision all the features we were going to have to support. But even the, the ones I had in mind were, I couldn't find them in the existing libraries. So that was the reason. But now in hindsight, with all the things that we have added and all the things that I, I've had to do, I'm really glad that we make that decision. So, for example, this encryption scheme changes. The very notion of encryption scheme is something that we, I mean, I added an encryption scheme to active record encryption after creating the Rails pull request. So I, I was always talking about active encryption schemes and encryption schemes, but there was no piece in the code for an encryption, an encryption scheme. And now there is. All these features that we've used over and over, I don't know how they would have looked in an existing library because they are like core, they are like uh, very delicate. And I think it will, uh, the path of reusing an existing library eventually would have been like, would have presented more frictions for the things we wanted to do. That's the answer for the first question. And regarding Ruby, so yeah, Ruby supports OpenSSL. OpenSSL is a seal library and there are some standard wrappers in, in Ruby. It's not super easy to use. It's kind of low level, but it works, you know, super fast and it's super robust. So I'm not, I'm not sure if Ruby is going to embrace some higher level approach to, to security. I mean, if Rails or Ruby offered, well, Rails already offers some kind of this class, I think it's called Encryptor, implements a cipher. I think it's Encryptor. That it wraps AES256 so that you can encrypt information very easily with symmetric encryption. So Rails already offers some kind of high level encryption utilities. Ruby, I'm not sure if they have plans uh, to do that. But if you want to use OpenSSL directly, it's pretty kind of rough for sure yeah you know i've i've definitely gone to encrypt you know streams or or just data in general in ruby and i had a very hard time working through open ssl for sure yeah so i've definitely gone and you know just required some rails helpers (laughs) at times to just ease the process of that so i mean my next question to follow up is do you have any plans to kind of upstream some of the stuff to ruby like say to in my personal i may not even do this now 
now, but <laughs> my next hack day, I was going to plan to encrypt IRB session history. But with the uh, console 1984, it almost seems pointless. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> you can just use the console and get a bunch of extra features on top of that, right? So to be honest, it wasn't in my radar. I think that contributing things to IRB, I don't know if the project maintainers will be up to this. So uh, I think that the console 1984 works at a very high level of abstraction. It requires active record encryption. It requires, uh, well, active record in the first place because it's, it's recording things in the database, managing those audit trails as active record models. So I don't think Ruby without Rails would be a good fit for this stuff. I don't think so. Maybe the Ruby could present like some nicer abstractions for encrypting things. That's that I agree, or uh, I think that's a good idea. You said earlier that the uh, that you added on that database component later. Is it is it possible to run console 1984 without the database component? Well, yeah, actually, well, not out of out of the box, but it's easy to to configure. So in the first version of console 1984, the one that we ran for one year and a half, actually, it was those audit trails were just JSON logs that we were piping into our login pipeline in for for hey so so the database so th those logs ended up well consumed by or exploited by kibana which was the, the software we were using we created a dashboard in kibana for auditing those logs which was nice but also very manual and cumbersome to use so but it's possible in the sense that there is an all uh, there is a configuration option something audits logger or something like that i mean if you i don't even remember but if you go to the console 1984 readme i think there is a, a configuration option for configuring the object that persists those commands so the default implementation stores those audit trails in the database but you could do whatever you want uh, if you implemented your own so there is a piece you need to override for, for customizing how to consume those audit trails. Yeah, so it looks like, I mean, so the database doesn't seem to be an issue, but if I presume the active record encryption, which it depends on, depends on yeah. active record. So fair enough. It would be no, interesting I, to get all that power into Ruby. Go ahead, Valentino. I was going to say, just kind of following off the tails of this console 1984 is the auditing, which I don't know if we've mentioned it, but is another gem auditing or audit 1984, which on its own, if, if anybody has ever used the audited gem, I'm sure you've built a inter interface to try and make sense of all the auditing logs uh, in some UI capacity. Uh, and what I found really awesome about it is that it includes that as part of the gem and gives you a nice mountable engine so you can see that full audit trail from you know an authenticated endpoint uh, pretty easily. I was playing with that this morning. It's very slick. Yeah, there's a there's another gem out there. Um, trying to remember what it what it is called, but that's the one that I've been using for the past few years, specifically because it handles the uh, the view side better. You think a paper trail? Uh, not paper trail. Hang on, I'm literally trying to pull it up like right now in a gem file. I just can't remember off the top of my head. It's done by the guys that have like the hat on there as their thing. Come on, where is it? This is a short gem file. I should be able to find it. Oh my gosh. I'm going to like cry here. Public activity. There it is. This is a, I'll, I'll find the link, but it's called public activity. And it honestly, I mean, to be honest, like paper trail and audited and public activity, they're all more or less like very similar concepts, though they all have 
like different angles, like paper trails, like, Hey, we're going to store the serialized version of the object and audited's like, we're going to choice, you know, save the changes or whatever. Um, I believe public activity saves changes too. But the thing that I cared about was that they made it like super easy for me to make that page. <laughs> I'm disappointed that it's not as popular. I didn't know it, but it looks pretty cool. Yeah. It's, uh, I have a very new version of Rails on this one project, and I've run into a couple problems that I have, yeah, that were hairy. And I was like, oh, crud, I'm going to have to start going back to Paper Trail or something next time. So are there plans to create a, uh, a 1984 logger so that we can then <laughs> fill? I mean, I know we have the uh, already the the kind of protected logging. It'll swap out certain fields in the database or in the database logs, right? Is there a more like restrictive logger plan where it'll, you know, only allow specific set rules? Valentino, I was going to say the 1984 logger is actually already running on your machine. You just (laughs) just don't know that it is. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. No, sure. Uh, So, no, there are no plans to do that. But sounds like an interesting idea, to be honest. So, our in in terms of feature uh, of future features for console nineteen eighty four. Well, in the coming months, I would like to continue working on the anti-tampering mechanisms. As people report problems or things, oh, hey, if, if I do that, I can do bad things. So I, I love fixing those. And then probably we will give some love to all its nineteen eighty four. It's pretty in a pretty basic shape right now. I mean it's super functional in, and it's so much better than what we used to use until not so long ago. But it's uh, probably too simple. Uh, there are a bunch of things we, we can do there. But I mean, the, the stuff is open source, Valentino. So if you have an, an idea, what, what you mentioned looks super interesting. So if you want to take a stab. <laughs> Sounds like Herb 1984 when we announce customizations to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think when you start like sending data off to vendors, as an example, you know, you start to realize, oh, maybe there's some things I shouldn't be sending off in, you know, in the logs as an, uh, just as an example. But I think this is a really good foundation for going forward to add kind of some of these other suspicious commands as as an example, as, as you've outlined in the console 1984. I I wanted to say that active record encryption has this feature so that when you encrypt when you declare encrypted attributes under the hood, it, it uses uh, it extends this action dispatch system for blinding parameters in logs. So, for example, if you encrypt a field named email address, whenever you see an email address as the param of some controller action in your logs, it's going to be blinded. So that kind of it's kind of rough in the sense that it's just a list of names that it's going to encrypt, but it's already pretty powerful. So for, for us, it works pretty well. Because for free, I mean, it's a, it's a configuration option that you can enable or disable. I'm not sure if it's enabled by default. But when you enable it, you get a lot of you know sensitive data blending for free. So yeah, it's it's not what you said exactly, but it can, kind of goes in that line. Yeah, I'm interested to see what more uh, kind of filters will come out of this as well as people start to play with it and use it in production systems. I imagine it a lot like, you know, a signal sciences kind of reaction where people will start to be a little more, you know, proactive about this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah. So to me, if you ask me about the ultimate benefit of using active record encryption is that you are capturing what's sensitive information at the code level. 
So that means it's formally captured. It's something you can act on. You can build tooling around it. And to me, that's like the, the great benefit of the whole thing. That you that now, instead of sensitive information, instead of being something that is that lives in the abstract, it lives in your application. So you can do things with that. And I think that's super powerful. And I hope to see more cool things, uh, you know, in the future based on this. Yeah, I I have definitely seen a lot more conversation on encryption in the past few years than I did, you know, in the previous like 10 years of Rails life. I'm not saying that no one ever talked about it previously, but I feel like with maturity of the product has come people using it and just expecting it to have these things ready made for them. And they're like, well, Rails sucks because it doesn't automatically handle all these things for me that are really hard. And 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 I feel like people have just been making a lot of complaints about those over the past few years. And I think it's awesome to see what appears to be like everything that I've like read in the past like week on this. I'm just like, holy cow, I really wish this existed five years ago because it's this holistic looking approach, right? That to be frank, I kind of expect out of almost everything that Basecamp gives us. So thank you, Basecamp. But but yeah, I, I like kind of it, it's very holistic. It's very rounded. It might have some rough edges or some things that I don't like, but who cares? Whatever. Like it's still like way better than like me having to make all of it myself, right? And that's that's amazing and awesome. I think that as we said earlier, like from my perspective, like we've just leveled up the console here, right? For any project where you have sensitive data, sure, whatever. Like the malicious programmer can get to stuff, but we just like level it up to make it harder for that person. And we've also just by default, you know, made it so that the person just like troubleshooting stuff doesn't magically see stuff they weren't intending to see, at least without in actually digging in. So I think that's awesome. And I mean, I've used Adder Encrypted over the years, have had no real problems with it. But at the same time, like it's nice to see like a new version and iteration. I know I'll I'll be trying it out for sure because Adder Encrypted has known problems and i like want to try out and see if the this peanut butter tastes better let's be frank for those listening i don't know why to, i use peanut butter i hate peanut butter sorry go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say that the adder encrypted library is is looking for maintainers so if that is something that you are looking to to help support they're actively searching so either take a look at that or take a look at the active record uh encryption <laughs> to, to be honest uh, the, the the fact that Libraries like ATT or uh, encryption. There was also another gem which is called symmetric encryption, which is less known than and ATT or encrypted. Symmetric encryption and well, Lockbox, which is also famous. But symmetric encryption, for example, was a big source of inspiration for me. So yeah, I really appreciate the work that uh, people did with those libraries because also when you are the first one doing something, it's like super uh, it's way harder so i could really what i did i could build it on what they did in many many ways because they, they validated the idea they explored different ways of implementing the same uh, so different libraries use completely different approaches so you can check what works and what doesn't and that's priceless so uh yeah i i really appreciate the, the, the work that the community did uh, with those libraries and the author of those libraries did and it was key for what i did to make that clear absolutely and and many of the problems right that have come up over the years have been solved you know or have solutions for to reference and yeah i mean we always stand on the shoulders of people before us right so real quick jorge can you kind of shed some light on what future plans are for 
the active record encryption and kind of what some challenges are that you face uh, in the near term? So, yeah, so in the... I mean, what I have in mind, what, what, what I said about Console 1984, I would like to, to keep... I mean, if people report security issues of some kind, I'm going to work on that because it's important to me. I want to keep the gem simple to install, but maybe I'm willing to make it internally more complex and more sophisticated as, as, as there are more things we need to, to handle in terms of uh, making the gem secure. That's one thing I'm going to tackle for sure. In terms of active record, in terms of active record encryption, one area that I would like to attack at some point is sorting. So sorting encrypted data, you can't sort encrypted data, essentially. It's not, it's something that it's not solved. Uh, well, you, you can do that if you um, load everything in memory, which is never an option, <laughs> uh, but uh, not with a query, not at the database level. So there are like research papers about uh, encryption algorithms that keep sorting properties, but they are like super experimental, nothing that looks like super appealing. There is a there is something that I would like to explore, which is leveraging the encryption that databases uh, engines provide. So, for example, with MySQL or, or with Postgres, you can use encryption functions when you are querying data. So when you are querying a column, you can pass an AES encryption function with some key, and it's going to uh, read that data decrypted or encrypted when you are writing it. So and, and queries work if you use that, and sorting works if you use that. So so that's uh, something I would like to, to explore, but I'm not sure if it's going to be possible to solve, but it's an interesting and I think it's very worth to try to solve that problem because sorting encrypted data is a real need. It's something that applications need to do, and right now it's not, it's not solved. So if some of you or anyone listening want to you know, take a stab at that, it's, it would be a wonderful contribution to the project. That actually reminds me of one thing. So I, I know I put the link in here and I'll make sure that it ends up in our list of links. It goes in the show notes, but I don't know if there's a better place, but I know that Adder Encrypted at the very end of its readme has like a section that lists like some caveats that you have to be aware of whenever you're encrypting stuff. You know, some of them include some of the stuff that we've said today, which is like searching, you know, requires, you know, if you have basically a, uh, uh, whatever the initialization value, or they just call it IV and Adder Encrypted. So, if you have an IV for each individual record and it's not deter- it's not deterministic or whatever, then you you can't search or whatever. So you have to choose a less you know, a lesser encryption, right? If you want to do searching or joining things like that. There's also like a few other things in there. You know, you have to consider whether or not you have if your field if the encrypted value is going to be too long for your field, right? Like you have to pay attention to that because you can get truncated if you're not careful. So it brings up a few things that you have to pay attention to. So we'll link it. So if you haven't encrypted before, you should definitely be aware of and like look into these things. I hadn't even really actually thought of the sorting one. I didn't really think of it because like in most cases, I was like, well, if I want to search anyway, I have to like do some janky stuff. So for the most part, I have avoided using encryption on things that were searchable for that reason. But yeah, I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts, but like, I'll, I'll try and link that for some caveats. I don't know if there's better articles that have even more or not. But now that you're mentioning, we should probably write a section about caveats in, in the Active Record Encryption Guide because that's, uh, yeah, uh, as you were like enumerating the things, uh, I was saying, oh, we should add that, like ATTR yeah. encrypted, yeah. 
it's it's always good to i mean people you, you don't think about these things until you like run into the problem and as we said before like if you have a problem with encryption it's pretty destructive <laughs> like there's no going back yeah totally you just lost that data one thing I, I've seen and we've seen Basecamp with Console 1984 and with this approach to encrypt data, personal data, is that once you get used to use a console like this, when you go back to other application that ha- that is not using Console 1984, it feels really weird. So I think it's a it's a technology that as people adopt it, as you get used to it, then you you miss it if you don't have it because unless I mean most people I know want to use want to use things responsibly. No, they don't. You don't open a Rails console to do evil things. So this level of protection that Rails console, uh, sorry, console 1984 adds is is I think it's really appreciated and you get used to it very quickly and then it feels weird if it's not there. So yeah, I encourage people to to give it a try and and with encryption. I'd say that, I mean, there are for sure things to have in mind, but in the general case of, you know, if, if you're going to, if you have fields that you want to query, encrypting them deterministically is like a line in your active record model. And that's it. I mean, and you can use queries and they're going to work and you don't really have to care much. Uh, so in all the gems we've released, I think that I have made a huge effort on offering, you know, default Paths that are very simple for most users. That's kind of uh, kind of an obsession I have. Uh, so that if you want to use console nineteen eighty four, just install the gem and run the migrations, and you are set. With active record encryption, it's pretty much the same. You you can run a uh, sorry a, a rec task to generate your keys, add them to your credentials file, and you are set to go. You can use it. You can start use it, uh, using uh, encrypt. Uh, with your attribute names, and you essentially have to care about encrypts and encrypts with deterministic true, and everything should work. So yeah, I, I encourage people to give it a try because I think it's it's the kind of thing that you know after a few years using it, you say oh so a few years ago I could open a Rails console and you know explore my database freely and access to any message or any name or any contact uh, that i wanted is was that was that a thing i think that it's it's that powerful uh, the change is that powerful yeah one thing i thought that was really impressive too is that the serialization even works uh before and after decrypting i was yeah. playing with that and i was pretty pretty impressed that that was there intact i had a json column that it just worked with yeah the, the thing is that active record has a pretty rich uh internal model for attributes and i think it's, it's inherited from active model so and it's 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 incredibly rich and and complex and it's something you never see when you're using active record but it was a pleasure like extending things because everything has like its place and it's really well designed so because active record encryption is implemented as an active active record type is a kind of type it plays well with other types because the 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 system allows you to do that so yeah that's definitely uh that's definitely because of the way Active Record is designed, which is very well designed. Thank you, Attributes API. <laughs> it's always nice. You, you get that feeling of a good design when you're working with something, right? Because it just makes you feel good extending and using it. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
I mean, Active Record is like, I mean, if you check the code, it's such a beast. It's, uh, it's huge. There are so many yeah. classes, so many things moving on. And I'm not sure how many awesome. experts are in the internal of Active Record. Uh, but uh, there, there is a part for the part, uh, another part I would like to improve is the system we use for, for extending Active Record queries so that we can modify them on the fly and inject the values we want. So, for example, what I was saying about querying encrypted and unencrypted data at the same time, we do that under the hood. But the way we do that is kind of uh, very rudimentary, I think. It's not leveraging the active record internals in the way it should. It's like kind of, well, uh, I found a way of making it work, but it doesn't feel like right or the, the, the best way to do it. So that's another thing I would like to improve uh, if I have the time in the future. But yeah, uh, I would like to spend some good time studying active record internals because they are like a an operating system or something like that is huge. <laughs> Understandable. Did you want to? Did you want to talk about anything else, or anybody else have any questions before we like move on into picks? Oh. I'll take that as a no. All right, no, I'm good. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and and move on to picks. Hey, folks! If you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Uh, Darren, do you want to open us up? Sure. I have two picks today. Both are sh- kind of short reads. They're articles. The first is by Noel Rappin, uh, and it's titled More Ruby Magic, but I like it for two reasons. One, it talks about making time easier. The gist of it is adding methods such as like one underscore business one business day ago, for example. And the approach that he takes is by deconstructing those tokens. And so that it's actually, we talked about metaprogramming in a previous episode. I think it's a, an example of responsible metaprogramming where it deconstructs the tokens and kind of then comes up with, okay, well, what are the actual date calculations I need to do? So uh, it's, a, it's a short but interesting read. Time is always just a, a challenging thing to work with, especially if you have time series data. And then the other uh, short read is an interview with James Gosling, the creator of Java. It's in published in DZone. Uh, the interviewer, Grigory Petrov, is I, it's almost more in the entertainment category. So the interviewer kind of prompts James on a number of occasions about Ruby and modern language features. Uh, James Gosling seems fairly happy with the choices that were made. He prefers statically typed languages, objects, classes, etc. But it's kind of interesting to see how the interview goes and you know whether how how often Ruby is mentioned in that interview. So it's another interesting short read. Those are my picks. Awesome. Thanks. Valentino, did you have any for today? Yeah, I got a couple here. First one is a presentation by Isabel Lafont. Uh she gave on uh, MJML, which is the Indu kind of uh, email templating engine for Ruby uh, that makes it really easy to put together dynamically uh, designed emails for that are responsive. They work on mobile, desktop, and it's a pretty cool library. So definitely check that out. Another one is uh, Ben Ornstein. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Uh, but he's he's the owner of Tuple. He just tweeted out that he's going to give away lifetime accounts to any open source maintainers. So 
I definitely would recommend checking out the form that he provided on, on his tweet. I'll leave a note to that. Uh, and another one, I have a, I came across a prior C file on a Reddit and one of the Ruby Reddits and uh, it lets you just quickly see the runtime or process time for any executed IRB command that you're running, which is pretty cool. And we'll just show it right in your little uh, command prompt. So I'll place the link to that as well. Nice. I'm excited as a as a uh, fanatical Pry user um, myself. All right. So I have I have two picks for today. So first one that I want to pick is I've been having I've been I may have picked this a very long time ago, but uh, if so, I'm just picking it again because it has recently made my life so much better. And that's Calendly, and and people might be familiar with it, but man, having having like a scheduling system that like you can just send somebody a link to and it like puts my multiple calendars together like for me without me having to like do anything is is pretty amazing um it prior to this uh i definitely had a lot more rescheduling you know that would happen when uh, people would schedule something and i would just you know either just derp and look at my calendar and not see something that was there or you know, just uh, uh, not check all my calendars because I was just, you know, in a rush or something and be like, oh, yeah, that looks that sounds great. You know, whatever. Let's do it. And then I need a reschedule. Um, it's really nice to just be able to send somebody a link. And Calendly is it's a computer program. It doesn't make those kinds of mistakes. <laughs> it's great. So uh, for somebody that like is kind of busy and it just needs to schedule stuff and needs it to work, Calendly has been amazing. So that's that. The other thing is, I mean, I know that we've been talking about encryption stuff today, and, and I brought up a couple libraries. So, I mean, definitely check out Add Encrypted if, if it's something that interests you. But I definitely was going to put in a plug for public activity or whatever that we mentioned earlier um, for auditing or whatever, uh, both because, I don't know. So, so this is sort of, from my perspective, I kind of feel like all of the auditing libraries have aspects that I don't like about them. And, and I don't know if that's a fundamental problem of auditing in general, but, uh, but I definitely feel like, uh, I don't know, part of the reason why, the major reason why I like public activity, as I said earlier, I think it does a really good job of creating that page where you can view everything, or it exposes the functionality such that it's super easy to create that. But number two, like I, I prefer... I prefer the style of library where you store changes rather than trying to store the entire object. I find that Paper Trail, even though it is like the more common library, has some severe hiccups because reifying an object that's very old is not really all that realistic. It just you have to do a ton of work to make that work in most cases. And so I what I always find myself doing with Paper Trail is I write I, I actually have like an adapter that goes through all of the paper trail objects and converts it to changes <laughs> in order to actually do things. So I've done that on like almost every project that I've used it. I do have a preference for that type. So I, I use the audited slash public activity style, which is to just grab changes, but I think audited super old. So there's opportunity to create a new library here, or you should check out public activity, which I think is, is cool. So yeah, I'll leave that there. Jorge, did you have any picks for us possibly? Yeah, sure. So one is um, Trafford Ruby. I've been playing with it in, in recent times for some personal project uh, where I wanted to interact with a Java library. And in the past, I've used JRuby, which is uh, fantastic for these things. But the problem with JRuby is the startup time, which is, uh, well, it's not JRuby related. It's the way that the 
Java virtual machine starts, you, you get like a few seconds, like five, six seconds on every run, which is when you are, for example, running tests or something, they, it's annoying uh, because the feedback loop is, is uh, kind of slow. Drawful Ruby has, uh, has these two ways of working. One, they call it native and the other one, they call it JVM. And the, the native mode, that's a flag that you pass to the, to the Ruby interpreter. And in the native mode is super fast to start. It won't interact with Java, but it's as fast as the, the Ruby implementation, the MRI. In, and in the JVM mode, it's uh, you can interact with Java. It's a little bit slower to start the, the Ruby. But I like it, like having both modes in the same project so that when you are not doing anything Java-related, you get like the speed. But when you want to do something with Java, for example, when you launch the service or whatever, it works seamlessly. So whenever I see these things of languages interacting, JRuby already looked like magic to me, like sorcery, and this is a pretty amazing technology. That's my first pick. My second pick is that this parser gem I mentioned, uh, I can paste the link. I found this recently when working on, on the console 1984 library. I wanted to collect the constants or collect assignments, for example, in the, the console or analyze Ruby code and it's super easy to use. You get the you, you pass it a chunk of code, you get the AST, then you can implement like a visitor that would you overwrite the methods you want for the things you want to analyze and it worked perfectly fine for doing something that is quite complex. So I I quite enjoyed it. And my last pick will be Nintendo Switch, which is something I've discovered recently. I know I'm late to the party, but uh, I have a two daughters and I'm playing with my older daughter quite a bit recently we played Zelda Breath of the Wild which is absolutely fantastic we're playing Mario Odyssey Mario Odyssey these days and uh, for some reason I stopped playing video games for a bunch of years I, I don't know why but now I'm kind of doing it again and, <laughs> and I'm kind of old to everything because people now are working to other things uh, playing to other things uh, but yeah I totally recommend <laughs> this read. And that's those three for me. For me, Awesome. Well, thanks, Jorge. Um, if people wanted to find out more about you, follow you, things like that, where uh, where would they go? Sure. So, well, I have a personal page, jorgemanrubia.com. My GitHub, GitHub handle is uh, Jorge Manrubia, uh, without any separation. And yeah, my, I also have a Twitter, Jorge Manru, in this case. But I think my personal page is a good place to, to go if you want to learn more about me or contact me or whatever. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us and uh, <laughs> teaching us more about encryption as well as letting us know about all the work that you've been putting in. So thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. I had fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, take care, everybody. That's, that's it for Ruby Rogues this week. We'll see you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.